Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. Jeff, could you maybe laugh just a little bit less? Come on, man. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Matt Handshaken Holmes. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Hey, Jeff. It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun. So you are an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and founder of Handshaking Video Series. So let we'll talk about this more later. But um, you have you have this world record of the longest handshake, and you've shook hands with like CEOs, congressmen, uh, vice presidents. Right. So <laughs> this is this is kind of a cool gig you've got going on doing this in-person meet and greet kind of uh, brand. And I love it. But that's not what Vroom Vroom Veer is about. We have to go back in time. So before we get to what you got going on today, let's talk about Little Matt in high school. So what sort of uh, kid were you growing up? Yeah, so um, I was a class clown slash nerd in high school. All right. Um, I think my first kind of entrepreneurial happenings was when I had my mom buy me candy in bulk at Sam's Club, okay. and then I'd secretly take it to school and sell them individually. And <laughs> That's a really in, good in idea. Class, in math class. I, I wish that was still how business worked, where someone else would fund your product, and then you could just sell it <laughs> and keep, the, keep everything. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's still going on. I, I just did a, a an IT gig at a um, unified school district here, Inglewood Unified School District, and not there were several unauthorized and some authorized candy outlets <laughs> because the school, for whatever reason, had a policy against selling anything in a vending machine. And I was like, you know, I get it because you know we're supposed to be being healthy, but. High school kids are going to get that stuff one way or the other. <laughs> you yeah, know? You yeah. Know? They're going to get their sugar fix and the junk food fix. So the school might as well go ahead and make a little money off of it. But anyway, <laughs> what what are we going to do? So that's cool. That's uh, how long did you run that? Um, I don't think it was anything on purpose. I don't even think I realized it was something entrepreneurial at the time. Right. I just just you a know, way to thought- make a few bucks. Exactly. I mean, we couldn't buy Chester's hot fries at, through the vending or, uh, from, from Sam's Club in bulk, so I just right. sold the candy to fund my my hot fry addiction. <laughs> so you were a uh, a nerd slash geek. So what sort of nerdy things were you into? Um, I was a band geek. I played oh, trumpet. Band geek. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that started to change sophomore year. I joined the football team. Okay. So that was an interesting, uh, I think that was my first time wearing two hats, you could call it. Right, right, right. Uh, oh, yeah. That's definitely on the football team. So that, you know, raised my high school clout. And um, right. you become this jock hybrid nerd thing. Exactly. But yeah. I was the new guy on the football team. And in the band, I was, I had kind of already been playing for years. So, right. So, how did that, now you can't do both. 
right? Um, we we actually didn't have a marching band. My high school was a little oh, okay. smaller, so gotcha. so I was able to do uh, for the most part both. Okay, so the the band didn't have to play at halftime. That would be neat. Trying to change costumes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go play trumpet now. <laughs> or you just okay. march out there in your in your football uniform. <laughs> yeah. Now that would be cool. That would be cool. That would be cool. So, uh, all right. So you're the nerd. You're the slash jock. You know, I was a bit of a nerd too. I wouldn't call myself class clown. I was more of the class comedian. Mm-hmm. A little classier. <laughs> well, I wanted to, you know, be funny without getting caught for doing stupid stuff. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> I wish I could say the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, therein lies the difference. <laughs> See, I had an older brother and an older sister. So, and they, they were like, my sister was six, is six years older than me and my brother's three years older than me. So constantly I was looking at them going, okay, I see them doing the thing and then they get in trouble because they weren't sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> so I became devious in my comedic uh, pranks. Anyway, so, okay. So you finish high school and now you're off to college. Where'd you go to school and what'd you study for your undergrad? So I came over here to Denver, where I still live here. Okay. And um, I, I think I switched my major five times. I wasn't really decided. Yeah, that's. Uh, I ended up graduating sense. with psychology. Okay. Me which too. I think is still, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's still relevant, you know, today. Business is a people game. So, uh, right. yeah, I graduated that in 2010. Okay. So how did you like college? Was it a fun experience? Did you party a lot? Did you drink a lot of IPA? <laughs> It was. Um, I, I actually never had a fake ID or did much until I turned 21. Really? I had a, oh, a wow. relationship and only drank a total of four times my freshman and sophomore year in college. Wow. So I was a pretty good boy. But then I turned good 21 and joined you. the fun. So. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> so I made up for it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, now, in the where I grew up in upper, upper Michigan, we were drinking really early, like crazy early. I want to say like seventh grade or something. <laughs> It's stupid. <laughs> yeah, when I think back of it, when I got to uh, Air Force basic training, I was 18. Um, and I met like kids that were also 18 that had never had a beer. I was like, really? That's <laughs> fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you had a good time in college. Um, and you didn't drink a whole lot, but okay. So now you're faced with, now I'm a graduate, and it's time for me to be a big grown-up and go out and get a job. What did that look like? Yeah, well, um, I ended up getting a sales job, but let me pause here for a moment sure. because there's a few things that happened just before graduation. Oh, okay, cool. Um, first, about I think probably a year and a half or so before I graduated, I had, uh, I had gotten out of that relationship that kept me from drinking, and Impulse bought a motorcycle. <laughs> uh, oh, this long-term relationship was with uh, a girl that was uh, supposed to be maybe possibly a future wife sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. I was sad, so I bought a motorcycle to get my mind off of it, and hey, it, it worked. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was very far from the class nerd at that point with a motorcycle um, that I had bought on my own when, when uh, you know, others hadn't sold or bought their first car or motorcycle. And then eventually I sold that motorcycle and started um, flipping them. And once my friend saw me flipping cars, oh yeah, and motorcycles I, and cars, okay. And then I, yeah, first move. Uh oh. And uh, you know, I, it was the good old business rule: buy low, sell high. Okay. And um, 
And my friend saw me do that, so they started asking for help for a friend, anything. You got it. But then their friends started asking me for help. And so I came up with a fee schedule, and I would help people buy a car private party. Wow. Now, another crazy thing that happened a little closer to graduation was my freshman roommate, Daniel Close, told me, Matt, if you buy a house, you can get $8,000 cash from the government as a first-time home buyer. This was in 2010. And I said, no way. So um, I, I looked okay. into it, and it turned out it was true. So I was driving around campus one day and saw a house I wanted to buy. So I called the phone number. That's how it works, right? And he's like, I'll take it. <laughs> and okay. um, I definitely didn't buy that house, but I met a real estate agent who um, I've worked with several times. And um, he helped me get pre-qualified, which my parents co-signed. That was a huge benefit head start I had at the time, although they did not help me out financially with the first house. Um, right. I, used, I used some of the money I made from flipping cars for that. And bought my first house just before graduating um, <clears throat> for $8,600. And then 10 months later, I got that $8,000 cash. And uh, graduated, you know, didn't know what job I was going to have, had mortgage payments for $1,400 for the next 30 years, not knowing <laughs> how I was going to pay them. And that was when I realized I'm definitely tolerant of risk. So, uh, <laughs> And or stupid, one of the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's always a combination, even right. today. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like you don't. You you kind of are a benefit of uh, not knowing what you don't know. Yes, which is a really stupid thing to say, but it makes sense when you know what it means. Exactly. Because <laughs> had you known what would the the repercussions, you wouldn't have done it. Yeah. No way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right kind of stupid sometimes. Yeah. It can it can really work out and it can really suck, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was a lot of luck in that looking right. back. You right, know, right, I, right. I definitely thought I was doing research at the time, but you just can't predict that stuff or you don't know where to do research at the time and you just have to go with it. And um, that's part of taking a risk to be an entrepreneur, I think, for, for the person listening to us right now. Right, right. So in one of your emails, you said that you at one point maxed out $86,000 on credit cards? Easy. It was 85. Oh, 85. <laughs> okay, 85. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. Slow, slow down there. What do you think I am? Crazy? <laughs> exactly. I would do 86. I wouldn't do 86. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so why? And what did you get for your 85k of credit card? debt? Yeah. Well, um let me let me kind of fast forward to bring you up to when that point was. Sure. And, um, and I think it'll make a little bit more sense. Okay. So I graduated, took a sales job, and I found myself working hard for a commission that would only pay $300 once when in my house I had an empty room, which would rent for, at the time, $500, $550. Okay. Per and month. Was, a month. Yeah, per month. That's for nice. Please. Right. So, because, um, you know, I, I had a buddy move in, and we were kind of looking for two people like us. For the basement, I bought a three-bedroom house. Okay. <clears throat> and then later, it, it was almost a four-bedroom. And now, now it is a four-bedroom. But anyway, um, I saw that house appreciating too. And um, so that was kind of building me a safety net in the meantime. But back to the story, I, I found myself working hard for someone else making X amount when if I would have just taken the time to work on my own things, that would have made me more. Right. Now, is right, it a right. traditional full-time job? No. Um, once that room is filled, can I make more money? No. Right. But – are there ways around that to figure that out? Probably. 
show up. <laughs> right. You'd have to do it a couple more times maybe or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I didn't know. And I wanted to get more involved with business and entrepreneurship. So okay. um, I tried to get my master's in business from University of Denver, uh, same school, and and quit my job two days before hearing that I was accepted. So oh, okay. uh, sales job, jumped into MBA school. About halfway through that, I realized, wow, I need to launch a, a big boy business. Otherwise, I'm going to be interviewing the exact same way I was after undergrad. So Pretty I, much, right. I started convincing. Um, I tried to get my family to invest in another property. Um, they didn't have much luck. They wanted me to go the nine-to-five route, um, although they were supportive, but they thought I needed to get a job. And right. That's uh, that sort of like sideways support, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, where they smile and say, "Okay, shut up and go get a job." Yeah, <laughs> healthy support. It's healthy support, but it's not yeah. helping me with what I'm trying to do that <laughs> right. day. Right, right, exactly. Um, and I, I eventually convinced a, a key family friend to uh, to invest in a second property, and I bought a five bedroom house, and we were making money on the first month we bought it. Oh, and nice. keep in mind, now I have two big single family homes in Denver. That one was bought in 2010, one was bought in 2012. And they're appreciating four to eight grand a month. Wow. And yeah, because we, now this is post crash. Yes. And, and the market is recovering. Yes. Okay. And, and Denver is one of the hottest cities to move to in the nation. Is that mostly because of weed? Everyone asks that. And I don't, <laughs> but I don't think that's hurting. <laughs> I would, of course, argue because we have a strong startup scene here. Right. <laughs> and that's why everyone's coming here because every person who moves here definitely wants to launch a business more than they want to smoke weed. Okay. But or maybe both. Who knows? All that. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we bought the second house and I could, I could see the potential. Instead of buying low and selling high on cars, which depreciate and you can't rent out in the meantime, right. I'm now buying low and selling high real estate, which is hundreds of thousands instead of several several thousands. Yeah. And and I have it rented out to the point where we're making money holding it and it's appreciating four to eight grand per property. Right. So I turned this into a business uh, right before graduating. And um, I was I was interviewing before graduating and finally my career advisor told me, Matt, you can you can try entrepreneurship. You don't have to take a job. Because every single interview and every single offer I was getting I was saying no to it. Sounded awful. I did not <laughs> like. There's nothing exciting or small or agile or startupy that was anywhere in sight. Right. And I already had you know half a million in, in real estate assets. That's something to work with as a as someone in your mid twenties, <clears throat> early early twenties maybe. Um. Anyway, uh, so I eventually signed another office lease. I didn't buy the office, and I rented that to subtenants. And then I eventually raised funding for to buy a condo with cash, flipped that one in about a year. But it was right before I sold that condo when I realized, wow, um, I had these three properties. Um, we're pulling in about ten grand a month. I can't hire anyone full time, but I definitely am covering myself. I have great assets for my age, and I hate this. You hate it. <laughs> I hated it. You hated it. Was it, to, was it just too stressful, too much work? You needed yeah. help? All those and, things, all of the yeah, above. <laughs> and now the reason I told you all this, Jeff, is you sure. had asked about the eighty-five thousand dollars of credit card debt. Sure. Oh yeah. Right. And some of that came from purchasing the condo with cash. Before I bought the condo in twenty fourteen, I was I had raised a hundred thousand dollars refinancing uh, the family friend. Eventually, I got my family on board since they saw me paying her a return on her investment. Mm. Security against real estate, so a pretty safe investment too. Right. And um, 
and I, I needed thirteen thousand dollars more. So that's where uh, that's where credit cards came into play. I, <laughs> I used my cash and lived off the credit cards. You could say. Wow. Okay. And so you're uh, just basically using the credit cards for living expenses. Exactly. And and up until that, I had already had a great balance because, despite having a good net worth, I didn't have access to cash. But mm, I had no cash flow, right? Exactly. We, you know, the company was up and running to the point where we had sales more than someone was getting paid a salary, mm-hmm. but wasn't enough to really pull from it. Plus, I was save, trying to save up for the next down payment, right. so it really didn't make sense to pay myself much. So, um, I was taking that risk with the credit cards, and they got all the way up to eighty-five thousand, which, uh, wow. which is fun. When I listen to a lot of other speakers and podcasts, people talk about having twenty, thirty grand of debt, <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of laugh. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Actually, I had $100,000 of student loans on top wow. of that. Debt. Wow. My goodness. So, but in my opinion, entrepreneurs- student loans are, are different than credit card debt because yeah, I mean, you very can much. keep that forever if you want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with, with credit card debt, you can get out of that sometimes since it's not secured, but not with student loans. Right. And plus, student loans are deductible. My mm-hmm. servicer is Nelnet, which allows me 36 months of just not paying. Wow. Which is huge for an aspiring entrepreneur. Yeah. But of course the interest is building up. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're looking at building a business, not your monthly, not your monthly cash flow. You're you're looking at creating something that's going to create salaries and value to the masses. Yeah. You know, not not just your own personal finances and how to deal with that each month. Right. Um, right. So so anyway, I, I found myself with that much credit card debt, which wasn't as concerning as the the type of business I was running. It was real estate. There is no way to scale it. It's not like it doesn't next, scale, right? We wouldn't blow up and find ourselves with five properties next month. That's just not going to happen. Mm. And um, additionally, I, my clients are tenants, and it's always work. I don't. Yeah, I don't know many tenants who love their landlords. Right. You know, that's just not a, a not a conducive relationship. So, <laughs> so, so I sold off the condo and and got rid of the office and. And uh, held on to my two properties and didn't know what was next. I built a, a business focused on numbers. And once I realized that, hey, this is fine and I like the net worth I have, I own some property at a younger age. And, and um, eventually, I, I paid off a big chunk of my student loans and the credit card debt is not an issue anymore. Good. Uh, obviously, I, I am a big fan of leveraging debt. So I'm, I, don't, I, I don't recommend entrepreneurs pay off every single last bit of their debt. Because right. if you have a mortgage at 4.75%, you better believe your business is going to yield a much, much greater ROI than that. You better. Are so, you not so, doing it right? <laughs> yeah. The person listening, you know, take that risk and don't be afraid of not paying off your debt because if you don't believe your business is going to yield a greater ROI than some of your less expensive debt, no one else is. Right. And you're going to be true. in the same spot listening to these podcasts, not taking action. Yeah. And you've basically got a hobby, not yeah. a business. <laughs> Exactly, Jeff. Right, right. So, okay, so how did you start? I think this is next in the story. If it's not, then, you know, correct me. But is this about the point in your life when you start doing handshaking with CEOs, politicians, and business billionaires? Yes, you guessed it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Exactly. So I find myself with some financial runway. Right. Uh, a few, you know, I still had two properties to maintain, but a few less responsibilities. Well, you don't have that condo to, to you know, do plumbing and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Landlord well, the, duties. The, the condo we bought with cash. So yeah. that, was, that was huge. 
because that that's what really changed our cash flow. But I only owned it twelve months and mm. decided to sell it after that because it's just I didn't so much work. Grow, I didn't want to grow a real estate empire. Right. I think it's great, at least that I manage directly. It's it's a lot of work, yeah, and a lot of stress and a lot of legal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a fan of the law. I've considered law school a few times, and um, I, I had sued four times in small claims court. Wow. That's stressful, you know, yeah, when a tenant and doesn't pay you or when they leave a mess. And um, only one of those went to trial. And mm. uh, But you still and, have to go through all of that stomach yeah. churn. Yeah. yeah, we won, which was a big success and changed my confidence with tenants moving forward on what I'll tolerate and what I won't. But, um, but yeah, a lot of stress leading up to it, a lot of uncertainty. You know, the amount that we won in court was actually less than the amount that at one point they were willing to settle for. Mm. So that's an interesting, uh, you know, uh, key that should show that sometimes you got to swallow your pride. Although I would argue that there's a great experience in actually going through the process because now I know what it entails if I need to do it again and if it's worth it. Right. Yeah, of course. You always learn something. But, and if you don't, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, then you need to be a little bit more coachable and humble. Right, right. So, so who was the first some a household name you shook hands with and took a selfie? Um, <laughs> let's see. During the real estate company, I actually ran off to Washington D.C. and worked on Capitol Hill. Oh, okay. Um, so you worked there. So, so yeah. So you can tell that real estate wasn't my passion because I was running off and doing politics. That's wow. a really good key that you're building a business that you're not passionate about. Because you just run away. <laughs> you just do something for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, that's probably some of the names that most people would recognize and where I made a lot of contacts. Right. Um, I'm looking at pictures here in my office. I have one with uh, the old Speaker of the House, John Boehner. I remember that guy. That's so a, that's Paul a household Ryan. name. We got Paul Ryan before mm-hmm. um, his promotion. Right. And, um, I worked for a New Mexico congressman, and there's just there's a ton. And each time I go there, I usually try to get a few more pictures and maybe get them on that contacts list to have them on the video series. Sure. But as far as you know, not the people I met in 2013 on Capitol Hill. Coming back to. Uh, early 2015 when I was launching the video series, I, I just started off, before I tell you who the first big name was, I want to tell you how I started off. I just yeah. I asked Buddy's fiance if I could ask her some questions about how she sells her paintings for $5,000. Wow. I said, that's fascinating. You do these large-scale atmospheric paintings and sell them for $5,000 a pop. That how am- do you do that? That's amazing. I thought that was worth recording. Yeah, so I, I agree. I want, now I want to go look. <laughs> yeah, I, I brought an iPad. And balanced it on the chair and clicked record. And I didn't have a game plan on what to talk about. And it was fine. It was Buddy's fiance. This, yeah. is what, this is what I like to call you start spinning the wheels before you put your Hot Wheels on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And then the next one was with a family member. And then after that, I finally started interviewing some people that I thought I needed to have my act together a little bit more. Right. Um, I, was, I interviewed some mentors of a startup accelerator who had built and sold companies before. And after, after I kind of started climbing that way, you know, you can see I kind of started with friends and family and then some mentors. Eventually, I got a, a venture capitalist who I told myself, if I can just get Brad Feld on my video series before the end of the year, that's all I need. That's success for me this year. Right. And we got him in June. And before the end of the year, I got a phone call from someone else who knew billionaire John Paul DeJoria, the founder of Patron Tequila and Paul Mitchell Hair Products. Wow. And he said, Matt, um, you have a moment? I said, of course, Justin. And my friend Justin said, you remember John Paul DeJoria? I was like, of course. You told me you met him, and he's a billionaire. He's founded this. He lives in L.A. I said, what's up? He said, he's in town and might have some free time for an interview today. 
I said, no way. <laughs> so wow. I, I called, he set it up. Wow. And, and that was the first big name we had. That was flattering. That was the first time I was looking at the cameras and an audience behind the cameras. So it was very intimidating. Wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's a freak out moment right there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I've people who have sold companies for millions, tens of millions of dollars, and I've gotten pretty comfortable with that. And I've at, at that so point. That once probably, you get there, then you realize they're just people. Exactly. We're all just humans. Yeah. And People get to that popularity. Sometimes they want to be want people to talk to them like a human, right? For sure. Sometimes they want you to call them out on on their crap, or sometimes they want you to tell them if that didn't make any sense and I didn't understand it. Maybe some of my listeners did, but could you re-explain that? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a little slow. Uh, can you say that again? In yeah, that, smaller that's words. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. But once we got him, you know, of course we could have some other billionaires. So I reached out to a few, and and we've had we've also had Kimball Musk on the video series. Um, he sits on the board of SpaceX, Tesla, PayPal, Chipotle, General Electric. So is uh, this a different Musk than? Oh, it's, it's Elon Musk's brother. Oh wow! Yeah, that, yeah. He, that guy is like scary smart. He is. He really is. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I'm. I'm talking about Elon Musk now. Oh, yeah, but, but both the whole yeah. family. Okay, so talk a little bit about his brother. What what sort of brain does that guy have? Because it's got to be genetic. They're they they just have really big brains. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, Kimball's a billionaire too. He was there right. with the PayPal journey. Um, okay. He's right. He's right there with Elon. Despite Elon, uh, I, I feel like Elon's personal brand comes across a little stronger to more people. Mm-hmm. But um, what He's the a little f- bit more out there. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The very first thing I asked Kimball was, "What was the biggest mistake you ever made, and how did you deal with it?" <laughs> that's good. And, that and, that's that's yeah. what people need to hear. You know I, those those pieces of you know like uh, it's one of the power laws. That's what I like to say is uh, people need to see that you are just human and vulnerable, and you make mistakes just like everybody else. Yeah, big time. Right. And, and he said the the only mistakes I ever made were when I was chasing the money yes so true and yeah i wish i would have dug a little deeper on that one um to really get an example in specific but i think that's accurate you know the media really portrays billionaires as these you know donald trump's really and he is a billionaire but um but you know they're not i think how they come across and how they how they um are as a person when you meet them are two totally different things, and uh, I, I think they're very humble and receptive to feedback. And they're prob- they're wealthy because they weren't chasing the money. If 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 you know someone who's chasing money, they're never going to be the ones you give your money to. That's true. You know, I learned a lesson. Have you ever heard of? Uh, hmm, I have to think about what I'm thinking about. Oh, Brain Picker. It's a blog. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I heard her say on one of Tim Ferriss's podcasts was. I no longer do anything if it's only and only for money and or prestige. Right? Now if yeah. those if if there's something that happens to include those as well as something she's passionate about, okay, right? As an after effect kind of thing, mm-hmm. it might be prestigious and, you know, lucrative, but it's something I'm passionate about too. Okay, that's all right. But if it's just for prestige or just for money or a combination of those two, then she's just not going to do it. Exactly. Because <laughs> that, that is, would fit into the category of just chasing the money. Which Yes, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Right. But then that's hard, too, because for the person listening to us right now, 
you know, a lot of a lot of times as an aspiring entrepreneur, you just quit your full time job, and now you don't have a paycheck, and that's probably one of the top things on your mind. Right. So it's a really it takes a special skill to be able to ignore that, and you know, swallow your pride, and to figure out how to help someone else, and then you know maybe what they'd pay for that <laughs> <laughs> after you know after they help you out, and if if they're a good friend or a you know a um, a humble person that who's an entrepreneur they'll get it and they want to help you out and they're going to give you valuable feedback they're not going to say oh good job with your new business they're going to be like this sucks and i wouldn't buy it for this reason and you need to fix that and or i I don't think i'm your target market because this would appeal to this type of person and i'm not interested in that Mm. like be be direct because customers are going to be direct with you and the closer you can get your personal network to being straightforward with you the faster you're going to reach success and you need to do it fast because you can't live without a paycheck forever yeah, and that's the new economy, what you just said there, is like being that transparent and open and and getting like the more people that you have that will call you on your bullshit in your circle, yeah. the better. Exactly. If, if you have people just lying to you all the time, like, you know, your mom, <laughs> essentially, <Huh>? right? <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah, you, you want your, your mom to do that because she's your mom. But you don't want everybody to be acting like your mom. That's that's not going to help you grow. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about this. You broke the world record in the longest handshake because that just sounds fascinating to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this was this was January of this year. Oh, really? Wow. Okay, that was real recent. Okay. Yeah. So and uh, wh- how did you decide to do this? What was the, well, the little grain? You know, it's it's a bucket list. And uh, and I thought, you know, having a world record holder would add to my credibility too, which is pretty important to a young guy like me, never having built a $10 million business, trying to network with people who are worth 100 times that. Mm. So um, I thought that would be a cool way to show this is how dedicated I am to my video series that I'm asking you to be on. Right, right. It's and, almost uh, like a little Tim Ferriss action. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be proud of me. I think Tim would be proud. Yeah, I mean, especially if you hacked it in any way possible. Exactly. <laughs> Which exactly. I don't know if you if did or I not. Outsource if I could outsource the handshake or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, all, I have, all you have to do is just handshake. So, what was the the record before you broke it? Yeah. So first, to be clear, the world's longest handshake is a continuous handshake of of hands moving between two people only. Wow, okay. And, uh, so you had to move the whole time? That's right. The longest hand-holding record is 93 days, and ain't nobody got time for that. 93 days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. No, you so, don't even want to try it. Well, you're not hand-holding, Matt. You know, that's not your brand anyway, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I've always told my friends when business fails, I'm going to pivot to huggable homes instead of handshaking homes. We're just going to be all about hugging. That base is covered already. There's a lady in India. That's her gig. Oh, really? I yeah. Ama. All she does is go around the world and hug people. Nice. Yeah. You have to get a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Talk about it. So... So yeah, so it's between two people. The previous record was at forty-two and a half hours, and um, we, and you do get breaks. If you didn't get breaks, that would be a lot easier to break it because then the record would be at you know eight or ten hours or something. You know, however long you can hold it before going to the bathroom, right? Um, right. You know, in whatever bathroom you're comfortable with, because that's everyone's first question. And um, you do get five-minute breaks um, each hour. 
Oh, really? But at, oh, and how long? But you don't good. want to use all of those, Jeff, because if you use all of those, if you use all of those, you're going to be awake for a very long time. We had right. to wake up, get ready before starting, and then after finishing, we needed to make sure the venue was cleaned up, which luckily our, we immediately left and were transported to two beds to sleep on immediately. And we, we, st- we were awake about 50 hours. We shook hands 46 hours. And after we deduct our breaks from that, we broke the world record at 43 and a half hours. Wow. Wow. That was one long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like a blast. It was. I mean, it was really cool to see everyone come by. We started Friday at 11 a.m., uh-huh. And we and we shook hands for four hours, and realized that we were one twelfth of the way there, and we'd already seen half our friends. <laughs> wow! Like people came by after lunch. People, you know, went out and had dinner. They came back. You know, some friends went out for drinks and came back and wanted to do the night shift with us because right, we needed right. witnesses. We needed witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Twenty four seven too. Right. And we had a video record the whole thing from it start was, to finish. You had to video yes, record sir. the whole thing. Yep, most world records are broken with evidence-based. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah, so unless you want to fly a judge out for $8,000. Oh, God, no. Uh, and that's only for a world record that um, that is less than four hours. Whoa, so, I'm, so wait a minute, wait a minute. You assessed. had to submit 50-plus hours of video? Yeah, they were they were two 100-gigabyte files. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you basically bought a little hard drive to submit. <laughs> oh yeah, well, there is an investment to submit all the evidence. Yeah, right, right. One of those little like uh, 250 gig, uh, uh, one of the tiny little hard drives or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's perfect. Wow, yikes. Okay, so was it a party atmosphere when you're you sitting there? You did it in a bar, right? Yeah. So so two days before I was scheduled to break the world record, my first partner bailed on me. And I, and I had to find I had to find a different partner to break the record with. Oh my goodness. And someone stepped up to the plate and now he's a world record holder. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> just and then another day, buddy, right? Yeah, the day before I I heard that University of Denver was not going to be able to do it. So I was out of venue too the day before. Oh my goodness. I, I walked in to go have a drink at this bar cuz I I know um the owner and the manager and I'm like, I'm, I need a drink. I need to make some phone calls and, and either cancel this or, or, or figure out where we're going to do it. Because it has to be in a public place. Mm. And, you, and for most public places, they're not open 24-7. Right, right. Yeah, so that's a problem. And, and if they are, it's not going to be planned a day in advance, I would guess. Right. So uh, that was not good. And, um, because you're looking at taking up two days, basically. Yeah, but but again, it's such a big opportunity. I mean, we had nine news show up with a camera, and nine other news sources write about us. Right, right. What a so great opportunity! To have it your- is a great opportunity to have your name out there as a big deal, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, for me, but the venue too, and um, and even more, the person who stepped up to the plate—they didn't have to do any of the planning. <laughs> right. All they had to do was show up. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't have to show- shake hands for Stay fifty away. plus. Yeah. Right. Yikes. Yeah. So, did you like drink beer or drink caffeine? Yeah. Um. Both. So we had. I had. <laughs> Uh, it, oh. This sounds silly, but even with a world record like this, you got to train for it. So there was three weekends before where I tried to stay awake, and then um, I had shaken hands with my my first partner for four hours, and that really gave us a taste of what it was going to be like. It's uh, pretty brutal, right? 
Yeah, but it's it did seem like something that wasn't like it's a mindset game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just gonna do it. It's you're not jumping off. You know a cliff or doing anything crazy that's risking your life or risking something or, or that you need to have the, you know, the muscle and appropriate training for, mm, but it's, it's going to hurt mindset. And yeah, it, it was, I wanted to keep going. I mean, our hands were hurting. We shook hands with our left hand so we could obviously take selfies on Snapchat, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, which, which we absolutely did do. And, um, and our hands were dying. I mean, when we started off, we were grasping each other pretty hard. Yeah. And that, that you, quickly turned. Yes, yes, and and shaking fast too. So we had to we had to slow down the speed of the shake. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and like climb, you'd have to find a way to climb because your hands start to get a little loose after you've shaken two hundred times, right? Yeah. And that happens probably multiple times an hour. <laughs> so you had to like climb back up your hand without breaking the shake, mm-hmm. unless you are on break. Right. Um, which, you know, the, the bookkeeper has to, you know, keep track of very specifically with a witness and all that. So, yeah, crazy experience, but it got me a ton of press. Um, I updated my LinkedIn title, and uh, I think I think because of this, now I can finally get a Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's, it strengthened my personal brand um, and, and showed people that I was serious about what I'm doing here. I'll put myself through something crazy. <laughs> I, you know, of all the crazy things that I've heard people do, at least you weren't, you know, risking anything serious other than, you know, like sleep deprivation. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's and a little a, muscle fatigue. We, we did have, absolutely. We did have a doctor come in because after 36 hours of staying awake. Um, oh, you, you get so loopy. Yes. And after 48 hours of staying awake, after 42, oops, you definitely, uh, <laughs> start to feel you definitely start to feel let me let me say it again after 42 hours you're definitely going to start to feel some stuff and being awake the 50 hours i couldn't believe that my heart was racing when i was laying in bed and i didn't instantly fall asleep oh right but but you know i did fall asleep quickly <laughs> <laughs> now, the closest thing i ever came to doing something as outrageous was that as that was for charity i did this this crazy 24 hour like running relay, right? So it was like for charity. So for every hour that we participated in this relay, um, there was so many, so much money donated by my sponsors for the event. Okay. Uh, and I was active duty military in Japan. So we all, we got like 10 man teams, several 10 man teams. Uh, we all had tents and sleeping bags and lawn chairs and games and stuff set up on this around this uh, track, right? So the gig was you start and one person from every team would have to run four laps, that's a mile, and then hand the baton to somebody else. And then you had off until it was your turn again. <laughs> oh, wow. And we went for 24 hours, right? Yeah. And wow. it was uh, it was all good until we started having team people like bail. Right. Oh no! I yeah. know. So that meant that your rest period went from you know whatever it took, you know, for the other nine folks. You know, it got down to there was only like seven or eight of us at the end. Jeez! So, I know. <laughs> the the thing that saved my life was instead of trying to sleep in between, I I just one time 
you know, towards like the middle of the night. I don't even know when, but uh, I ran to my dorm room and just got in a hot shower and soaked for, you know, about five, 10 minutes and then ran back <laughs> just nice. in time to grab the baton and, and do another <laughs> lap. <laughs> nice. But nice. it felt so good. Oh my God. Anyway, <laughs> big time. Yeah. Yeah. That'll water something about water and splashing it. Yeah. Even if it's just on your face right. does wonders. Yeah. Anyway. So cool. Sleep deprivation and IPA and coffee. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right. So let's talk about, um, the, the handshake and brand and, and how you started doing this business. Yeah, so um, it started, you know, with that iPad balanced on the chair, and oh, so that and was I, the video series, and thus that was the beginning of the it. beginning <laughs> of the series. Okay, all right. Now, so now of course, we've we've upgraded equipment, and um, they're much more professionally produced and edited videos. Um, we publish short videos, one to three minutes, on YouTube um, about action items for entrepreneurs, how community networking and that stuff plays into it, right. and that's exactly what we help entrepreneurs with. We help entrepreneurs build their online personal brand. Um, we coach CEOs on what they need to do to get in the right community to really grow their startup. Um, we coach them on how to how to get on podcasts, how to you know push a lot of content out there to develop their credibility as a founder, mm. because everyone trusts your startup a lot more if your founder is credible and accessible. Definitely. So that's that's what we help with everything networking and personal branding here. Um, we'd like to narrow down our services to eventually build an app. Um, right now, our service Handbrander writes blog posts and distributes them for you oh, for wow. as little as fifty seven dollars a month. Handbrander. Yeah. Neat. And it and it and it writes blog posts. Yeah, we have a community of US based writers that mm-hmm. will write blog posts on topics you give them or on exact titles you give them with re- with, you know, three sentences or three points that you want in there. You can be as involved or not and of course our clients look over the content before uh they publish it that's and we amazing. distribute it. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. Thanks. It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, it's good. it's a good way to grow an email list. Right, right. It's a good way to build credibility. Well, it's, and you're, you know, the, it's huge SEO value, right? Exactly. Right. Because yeah. those are the the pre-sale activities is is the thing now in the internet age. You know? Agreed. Yeah. Got to give someone a value first. Right, right. So talk a little bit about what what goes on at Handshake and Headquarters. Yeah. So we are headquartered at a co-working space. That we launched uh, recently. This year, this happened after the world record this year, and um, we have we have three private offices and a very small space for other entrepreneurs to work from. Um, not necessarily because we're trying to get in the business of co-working, but okay. because we needed an office. Right. And um, <laughs> sponsorships weren't cutting it, but you know, originally I, I was making money off sponsorships with the video series. Where now it's off, you know, helping our clients. Mm. Uh, blow up their network and grow their online presence and mailing list. Right, right. So, um, so, so now, the, the now co-working space is just a way to pay the bills a little bit. Exactly, Understood. and I mean it's it's a bigger space. It's much nicer than the last office I had. Um, we have a health club with Ooh. a swimming pool and racquetball court, hot tub, steam oh, showers. That's a nice co-working space. It sure is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we kind of needed you. we needed to open it as a co-working space and do, not just. Do you have like the uh, the constant keg of PBR or IPA? Um, we don't have an office keg yet. Although, uh, trust me, we are budgeting for that very soon. There's a co-working um, space in Hollywood with PBR on tap. That <laughs> that is included with your rental. Nice. Yeah, I know. I know. Galvanize, a community for entrepreneurs that launched here in Denver, has has a location like that in yeah. Denver. 
I don't and, get and, it. I mean, I, 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 and I actually saw people tapping in. You know, I was like, really? These guys are drinking beer and working at the same time. I was like, oh, I yeah. want to work here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's crazy. I, I still have a membership at Galvanize. I'm a big fan of those guys. That's amazing. And um, yeah, at five o'clock, a lot of the members and and you know private offices will go grab a beer and and keep working for a little bit longer, and then. And then I guess go home or maybe to happy hour. <laughs> I'm not sure where it goes from there when you can have a beer after work every day that conveniently. Yeah, I don't know. There's a, I can tell a story about um, life in the military a little bit. But uh, a lot of, you know, flying squadrons out there in the world, you know, they have um, they have a bar. Uh, it's a unit. It, it, really? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> what they do is they have... Uh, just a unit funded slush fund and they just go out and buy cans of beer I, sometimes kegs sometimes not uh, and there's strict rules as to when they call it the drinking light drinking lights on <laughs> and then you know it's after you know whatever is done you know and duty duty for that shift is over and in between they can go and have a limited number of beers obviously or drinks yeah and I was like wow, wow. <laughs> Now that is not typical in most, I would say, non-flying operational office situations. I yeah. never worked in an Air Force office where there was a bar like in the office. But you know, flying people they get away with stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. It is awesome. I love it. Uh, so, talk a little bit about this handshake and startup pre-accelerator. How did that come to be? So that was originally what I wanted to sell with the video series. And in lots of my videos, I say apply to this handshake and start at pre-accelerator. Oh, right. And, um, originally, that was going to be an in-person thing. And then we changed it to be an online course. Okay. And, and then we actually put it on pause. So that's that's not – it's not a thing right now. It's <laughs> but not I, a thing right now. It's uh, going to be a thing. We we um. It's in development again. It is in development again. It's better, though, to, be, to come out and, and beta and, and then go, yeah, this needs to be retooled. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one thing I definitely learned is I thought I could just go and interview these top entrepreneurs and, and just teach everyone how to do it without ever getting my hands dirty and going in and helping some clients in specific with their needs. No, and, right. And that's that's what I learned is I can't just go out there and and just know what the world wants without going in and asking what the world wants and then helping the world. See, but you learned so, something. That's great. So yeah, and then that was that was too bad because I, I had you know I invested time and you know videos are out there still today saying that. And if you go there, we have a landing page that says, "Hey, uh, <laughs> actually go, go check this out." Right. I mean, um, <laughs> understood. But I think that's how entrepreneurship goes. It does, it does work it's, that it's way. It's not always the most comfortable thing, but it is part of the journey. Well, you know, at least you didn't do what the guy that invented the Segway did. What did he do? Do you know what a Segway is? I do know what a Segway is. Okay, so a lot of people nowadays miss this story, but when the Segway first came out, it was there was a leak, right? About and then they started just calling it it, right? And so there was this big hype about what is it, right? And then it turned out to be the Segway, and everybody went, oh, "Really." <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Because it was going to revolutionize transportation and the way we do things and this big, and it was just this, you know, stick you balance on with wheels. Yeah. 
That's right. <laughs> and and he invested a ton of money, and he didn't fall off a mountain. By the way, he's still alive and doing really cool things. Um, I saw there's a uh, there's a documentary on Netflix about him. So I'll put a link in the show notes. But anyway, um, he went out and built a gajillion of these things before he did one ounce of market research. Turns out not many people wanted them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you could have done that, right? <laughs> could have done that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. This guy has a helicopter in his uh in his house that he like tows out himself and goes and flies places. So. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> right. Watch watch those. watch the Netflix video. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Matt. Hey, this has been a blast. Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you for your time and for, for you listening out there. Appreciate you tuning in. We know there's a lot of free content out there, so Jeff and I appreciate you listening to us. So we can find out more about what you got going on at handshaken.com. Is that still good? Yes, sir. Handshaken without the G. Handshakenwithoutthegee.com. And that's also my Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter handle. And Facebook. And Facebook. And Facebook. I got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and the website all in the show notes. So check it out. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, have a good one. You too. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.